0: You're listening to a Rare Genomics Rare Share Patient Navigation Podcast. We are an organization and community dedicated to helping and supporting people with rare diseases. Hi everyone, my name is Imogen Crisp and I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm a volunteer with the Rare Genomics Institute and RareShare. The RareShare.org social networking platform provides an online community and support system for rare disease patients, families and healthcare professionals who may otherwise not know anyone else suffering from their disease. Just a reminder that this podcast content is for general informational purposes only and in no way should be considered a substitute for medical advice or for personal diagnostic or treatment purposes. Now, genomic sequencing is something many rare disease patients may need, but may not be able to access. The Rare Genomics Institute runs a program called IHOPE to help children and their families get that much-needed genomic sequencing with the hope of finding a diagnosis and a treatment. Today, I'm speaking with Romina Ortiz, who is a scientist and a co-founder of Rare Genomics. Romina is going to tell us about the potential costs of sequencing, the difference between exome sequencing and whole genome sequencing, and how, through IHOPE, Rare Genomics has been able to provide $2.7 million worth of whole genome sequencing to patients in need. She's also going to explain why genomic testing doesn't always lead to instant diagnosis, and she's going to share some iHope success stories. So Romina, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you, happy to be here. So if we can just start and you could tell me about your role at Rare Genomics and how you're involved with iHope.
1: So I am the COO and VP of Patient Advocacy for Rare Genomics. I direct all of the programs that we have. Um, And specifically for IHOPE, I, together with Illumina, kind of really laid down the infrastructure and development of the program itself, um, which offers free trio clinical whole genome sequencing to undiagnosed rare disease children. And I currently direct that for Rare Genomics with Illumina.
0: That's awesome. Would you be able to explain a bit about your own background and experience and, and how and why you got involved with rare genomics?
1: Definitely. So I so my training actually was I was in neuroscience, and then after that I went into molecular microbiology and immunology, but always with the kind of um, the need to understand chronic debilitating diseases. So I started off Trying to look into Parkinson's diseases, I did research on how mitochondrial diseases may be associated with my, Parkinson's disease, and then after that, I I went into autoimmune diseases and and um, understanding how you know the microbiome and the human body affects autoimmune diseases, and then I think going through that kind of background, I I wanted to know well where does it all start? Um, what you know? How about the cases that? From the very beginning, that are born with this disease, and then they have to live with such a debilitating disease for many years, if they even make it to, you know, past ten years of age. And I think that kind of interest is what sparked me to um, co-found of Genomics. I mean, even till today, I think I, I've always had a, a passion for, you know, just if a patient is sick. They need help. Nothing else should matter, but we need to give them the help that they need. And I think that that's what why you know I love regenomics because we're really fighting for some of the most
0: underserved patients that exist. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a pretty amazing cause. That's totally true. So, can you tell me a little more about iHope? Like, how did it start, and what are its goals? So it started, I believe, in
1: 2014. Um, I was having some trouble with a couple of our families um, in helping them access sequencing. As we all know, that sequencing is not cheap. Um, although the price has gone down significantly, but a lot of our families still find it difficult to afford the testing. And around that time, uh, we were starting to see a lot of insurance denials. So I wanted to see what is if there was any other way that we could help our families. And I decided to go to the source. Um, Illumina is one of the top, if not the top sequencing company in the world. They make the machines um, that a lot of labs use for next generation sequencing. I just reached out to their general inquiries email and I told them about what we do and about the tremendous need for our families. And the fact that it's just a shame that they can't access this test that they so desperately need because they can't afford it. And that actually just got up straight up to this uh, chief of staff within a day or two. And that started really early conversations with their executive team, just telling them again about the need. And then them actually telling me that they wanted to find a way to fill that need. So that's kind of how I hope started.
0: Wow, that's amazing that they were they were so keen to get on board so quickly.
1: Yeah, I think it's it was I say, I mean, I'm lucky that I found pe- the right people at Illumina that had that common um, goal that we do, which is helping families to, you know, the latest in genetic technologies to have a quicker path to a diagnosis. So they, along with us, you know, wanted to specifically help families with no other kind of means to access this type of testing so yeah it was it's been wonderful
0: yeah and so can you tell me a bit about how the partnership with Illumina works okay so the way that partnership works is Illumina has not they
1: not only make the machines but they do sequencing themselves um so what they do is they donate the genomes to us. Um, And since we have the patients that apply for our services, what I do with the patient advocacy team is we follow up with every single patient that applies. We look over their application and we determine whether, um, you know, what is it that they need? Sometimes it may not be sequencing, it may be other things, but the majority do need sequencing because they're searching for a diagnosis. So any of those patients I... I follow up with, I work directly with their care teams, their referring physicians, and then I put together a case report, which I then present to Illumina. And Illumina's review board, if they accept the patient, then from there, they actually give the free trio clinical whole genome sequencing. So I coordinate with their physician from home, and they work with the patients to mail out the samples to the Illumina lab in San Diego. And then Illumina performs the sequencing, the
0: analysis, and then returns back the clinical report to the family. And how much would genomic, genomic sequencing oh. cost without this partnership with Illumina? Right. So that's a very difficult question to answer.
1: Um, there's a lot of debate on to what the cost is. So um, just as an example, and I'm giving a broad average of what everything that is seen. But to understand the cost of sequencing, we need to understand also the cost of analysis because the sequencing itself is literally what you do when you read through each of the the genetic sequence of, of the child and then their parents and try to figure out what's going on in between. But that part of figuring out what's going on in between and identifying the mutation and how it happened, that's the analysis part that actually takes a lot more time and a lot more effort and therefore costs a lot more. So what people see sometimes um, they talk about, you know, at first the genome was a billion dollars, then it went down um, significantly. And now they're talking about the thousand dollar, you know, genome and to even hundreds of dollars. I think it's very important to understand that that's just for the sequencing itself, but you're not going to get the results, AKA the analysis of the sequencing until all of the analysis that is done. And there's there's a cost to that as well. For general averages of the cost, just to give an idea, we focus on next-generation sequencing, which is either whole exome or whole genome sequencing. A whole exome sequencing reads about, you know, only the proteins that are translated or the genes, but whole genome sequencing reads not just the genes, but even what is in between the genes, what maybe in the past we did not think was significant may actually still cause disease. And that takes a lot more time because you're reading a lot more genetic material. So the average cost, and again, this, these are averages. We I would recommend that someone just um, contact the labs directly to get the cost. A lot of the times the labs don't offer the cost um, on the website. You have to call it or contact them to ask, but For whole exome sequencing, and again, you have to sequence the child and the parents because you need to understand, you know, the whole picture, the average cost, I would say it's maybe around $3,000 for um, trio whole exome sequencing. But for whole genome sequencing, it's, it's closer to $20,000. So, and again, that's trio clinical whole genome sequencing. So that's each of the parents. And that's a significant cost. Um, but again, it varies. So I would really, it's a very difficult question to ask. Um, and I would just tell every family to really pay attention to who the lab is, the quality of their sequencing, because sometimes the coverage and the depth of the sequencing is not the same across all labs. So Illumina, um, I, I can't really say anything bad about their sequencing because they're pretty top notch and we're very confident in, in what they offer. So.
0: That's awesome. I think that's a great overview of the kind of different costs that people can kind of expect. And, and yeah, that's good advice for people to actually contact the labs to find out the exact sort of costs that they might be looking at. But I want to step back a little bit just because I feel like we're starting we started to go into a little bit about of the intricacies of, gen, of mm-hmm. genomic sequencing. And just for people who might be new to this idea, maybe you can give like a general overview of what that actually is
1: sequencing is the act of basically reading the genetic material of a patient. Um so if you know if you go back to like intro to biology you learned about the the different bases that that could, that are part of our DNA. So you know A C T G basically our whole genome is defined by a sequence of these nucleotides in different orders, right? Every protein has a certain order that they have that sequence. So the act of sequencing is really just, and usually you collect blood in order to get, to kind of extract the DNA. And then what you do is really read the DNA. So literally reading that sequence um, in in whatever order that may be of the ACTG of a patient.
0: Okay. And then when Illumina. Does this view do they use a machine to do that? Yes, exactly. Yeah, machines are the ones that read the sequence. That makes sense. And then, since IHOPE launched, how many children have been able to receive genomic sequencing? So it's been over
1: 100 so far. And we officially, so a conversation started in 2014, but we did not officially launch the program until December of 2016. So, so far we have helped over 100 patients and along that we have given close to $2.7 million worth of whole genome sequencing to patients in need.
0: That's amazing and and what are the kind of eligibility requirements for people who want to apply to to get genomic sequencing through i hope? Good question
1: so uh, we focus on children typically, so we say ar- around eighteen years or less, although that may be flexible, so it would have to be a child that is undiagnosed, that has not been able to access next generation sequencing and they have a physician that strongly believes that their disease is genetic and that they would benefit from this type of sequencing. It's, and and it, it would be a patient anywhere in the world. It does not matter where you live or what you can
0: afford or anything like that. Is there a sort of maximum number of patients that can take part in IHOP per year or, or is it just on a case-by-case basis?
1: So we have a set number that we get from Illumina every year, and that number has increased every year. At the same time, I think we have a good relationship with Illumina and they understand that if there's ever a time where you know, we pass that number, that we take it on a case-by-case basis.
0: That makes sense. What do families find is the benefit of having the, the genome sequenced? So for
1: patients... Um, that have a rare disease at least 80 percent of rare diseases are genetic in origin so that means that there's something that happened whether it's from their parents or whether it's in the formation of the child itself something happened to produce a mutation that causes the disease so the majority of the patients that come to us they're about seven years old they've been undiagnosed their whole lives. They've had countless tests, but they still don't know um, what is going on. Even, you know, basic genetic tests that maybe read, you know, one specific gene that they they might be interested in, that may not be enough to help these rare cases because these families or these these children, they have, I mean, a rare disease. So you would think that maybe the more common tests might not find what they have. So, With whole exome or whole genome sequencing, it really takes a a less biased approach. It's not like you're saying, okay, well, I think it might be this one gene or maybe even this set of genes. We're taking a look at the whole exome or the whole genome and just trying to see if there are any mutations that you find there. So that's the benefit that sometimes with this less biased, more kind of comprehensive approach. Uh, you will find mutations in new areas that maybe you would not have looked at before. And in order to, I mean, the ultimate goal for the sequencing is to finally get a diagnosis. And with that diagnosis, you know, comes coverage for therapies, coverage for referrals to other specialties. um, And obviously, what we're hoping to go to is appropriate treatment and one day a cure.
0: And how often does genomic sequencing lead to a diagnosis?
1: So again, I'm going to speak in averages here. It's very, very difficult number to really um, talk about. And it depends on the, se- the test as well. So it, it, every test, I would say it has a different kind of average. But for next-generation sequencing, we've seen, again, an average of about 20 to 30%. Uh, of cases do get diagnosed. That goes to show again how difficult these cases are and sometimes and what we've seen even at Ray Genomics and obviously all of the other genetic centers is sometimes we just discover whole new mutations that are now being linked to disease. Um, So it it really speaks to the growing atmosphere of basically just science moving forward and identifying whole new mutations and having to understand how those pathways work. Um, So that's why we still recommend, like, if you don't get a diagnosis, for example, this year science keeps changing. New mutations keep being recorded every day by the labs, by the scientists. So we, everyone recommend, and so do we, um, to do reanalysis, whether it's six months down the road, a year down the road, the databases keep getting updated. So the databases is what the analysts use um, to kind of comb through what is out there. So if they find a mutation, but they don't really know much about it, they looked through the database to see if there were any other cases in the past that have um, that same mutation with disease. So even if you don't have a diagnosis now, that doesn't mean that you won't find one a little longer down the line.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I, I didn't know that, that that it was such sort of a low percentage of people that would find a diagnosis. I kind of just thought it was that was what happened when you had genomic sequencing. So that's, that's really interesting. And when people are undiagnosed I could imagine that there might be instances when the disease they have might not be a a genetic disease so I was wondering if when they get the sequencing if they can discover that maybe their disease is not a genetic disease
1: and definitely that can happen I think um Yeah. That's why we take it on a case by case basis. That's why that's also why Illumina likes to, wants to work with us on this because the main purpose of them, and I'm sure for any other lab too, but especially them is they want to make sure that they give the test to someone who would benefit from the test. So a lot of kind of the early work that we do that I do specifically is go through these applications Go through past medical records with the care team of the patient, and really try to figure out if this patient appears to have a genetic cause to their disease. And there are a few things, um, obviously, that geneticists and genetic counselors and myself that we kind of understand about genetic diseases, where we can try, we can actually identify certain phenotypes or certain disease, you know, processes that you see in the child that can actually give us a clue into saying, okay, this may be genetic. It looks like it is. Um, Let's do the sequencing. But again, you know, it doesn't always come out that way. That makes sense.
0: And then are you able to tell me some of the stories of families who have found a diagnosis for their children and, and, and what sort of outcome that, that brought to that, those families?
1: Definitely. So one, um, one great example, um, is Harrison snow. I'm not sure if you heard about him. We had actually his mom come to one of our conferences and speak, but Harrison came to us, I think around the age of five and he was still, uh, he had some undiagnosed muscular disease and he, it was really hard for him to talk, to, to breathe, to swallow. And he was always tired And when they got to us, we worked with his parents to get um, free exome sequencing through a program at Scripps Institute. And luckily, the exome sequencing was actually able to lead to a diagnosis, but it it had far-reaching implications after that. So he was diagnosed with CMS, or congenital myasthenic syndrome, it's a rare, a pretty rare muscular disease that is found in about one in every 500,000 people. But the interesting thing here is he was diagnosed with CMS, but CMS um, has 12 different subtypes. Um, so they're, they're similar, but what they found is there are um, therapies out there for CMS and certain therapies actually work better for certain subtypes. So when you have the sequencing and you know exactly kind of the genetic cause, the disease, that means that they were able to pinpoint not only that he has CMS, but what subtype he had and therefore what specific therapy he could benefit from. So after he got those results, we connected the family with the Mayo Clinic because there's actually a, a leading specialist of CMS at Mayo Clinic who actually discovered those subtypes. So the parents met with them and they were able to actually pinpoint the specific drug for his CMS subtype to get treated. And that treatment actually completely cured his disease. Um, And I remember the last time I talked to his mom, she said that they finally were going to go to Universal Studios and he he was able to just be a normal boy. Um, He was no longer tired. He was no longer um unable to walk or breathe and that's um that made all the difference so it's very inspiring and so yeah a lot of cases like that and it's why we do what we do.
0: Wow that's an amazing story that he actually got cured um and it, that must you know make make it make you realize that everything you do is is really worthwhile. Definitely.
1: And, and as we kind of said earlier about the diagnosis is, it's not always easy. I mean, again, I don't expect it to be easy because by the time these cases come to us, they've been everywhere with no answers. So it's not going and we go into it understanding it's not going to be easy to, to find the diagnosis. And, and sometimes if there is no diagnosis doesn't mean that there won't be one next year. Um, so I think that's, what's important about rare genomics is we kind of Try to not just see what, you know, sequence them and, and connect them to research now, but also maybe keep kind of keeping communication with these families that may not have an answer yet, but we may find an answer soon.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. And maybe you could tell me a little bit more about how you and rare genomics stay in touch and involved with these families after they've had their genome sequenced.
1: Definitely. So every single family that applies to rare genomics is followed up by our patient advocacy team. So they're a team of patient advocates specifically trained to um, in sequencing and genetics and inherited diseases and patient privacy um, to really walk our families through whatever process that is needed in order to get the sequencing or research that they need. Um, So every family is assigned one specific patient advocate that is their champion, um, and walks them through the process. So whether it's, you know, if they don't receive a result that, you know, that kind of ends their diagnostic journey, then we always have that patient advocate that originally was assigned to them who will keep in contact with them. Um, so we, and we regularly follow up. And the good thing is that the families always know to keep checking in with us and they always have their, there's, you know, point of contact. their patient advocate that will work with them. So, yeah, we
0: we definitely stay in contact with them. Oh, that's really awesome. And then, what are your hopes for the future of iHope? So, I
1: I would really like to help more families. So, I think you know, we're 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 pretty happy with. The number of families that we've helped already, and again, this is we're a small nonprofit organization. All of this work is done completely pro bono. Um, so I think that we are very proud of what we've done already, you know working with patients all across the United States with different host, you know children's hospitals, um, genetics institutes. Uh, we've done a lot, but I think there's definitely more that we can do, not just you know double the number of patients that we're helping now, but also try to Kind of expand into places that maybe we haven 't been before, maybe um, underrepresented you know countries uh, that we have not been able to reach, so I think that's what what we where we want to go. We want to grow, grow into cities that may not have huge genetic centers that maybe need a little more help, or countries that you know don't even know about this amazing technology.
0: Oh, that sounds like an awesome goal. And then that's all of my questions now, but is there anything else you'd like to add about IHOPE or rare genomics in general? I think with IHOPE,
1: and we touched upon this a little bit in our conversation, but coming from a nonprofit, it's not easy finding philanthropic partners. So you said, you know, it's amazing that Illumina has been able to do this with us. That That's actually a true statement it is amazing um just because i think in this maybe the society or in how we live a lot of a lot of work is done um for maybe you know like if, only if there's something to gain out of it or you know some kind of monetary kind of compensation and I think it's from us you know because we we focus on the philanthropy we are a nonprofit. we all do the work pro bono for our families I think to find these partners like Illumina these big players um, who solely also just want to help so I think that it's something that we really appreciate but we also recognize that it's hard to find. And if we if we could kind of promote that kind of that kind of mission, that kind of philanthropy in other ways, you know, we we keep trying to look for other ways to to help our families in this way and if, you know, I think if we are able to find more partners like Illumina then we can do even more together. So, that's something that that we're
0: definitely, you know, working very hard on. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for for explaining that, the importance of that relationship is, you know, just sounds like it's really key to to IHOPE working. So yeah, that's amazing. So Romina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to tell us all about IHOPE. It's been absolutely fascinating and I'm sure it's going to be very useful for families who are thinking about genomic sequencing. They'll be able to get an idea of whether it's something that is for them and whether it might be worth them Applying for IHOPE.
1: definitely. And thank you so much. Uh, we are looking for any way to help spread the word because this is really something that if a patient needs this, then please contact us because we have developed this whole program meant to give this type of testing to the child, the, to the children that most need it. So, thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this Rare Genomics Rare Share podcast. Visit www.raregenomics.org and www.rareshare.org to find out more and join the community.